The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Happy Friday, everybody. You're watching Scorebox with Karen Cho, Jeff Cutmore and myself, Steve Sedgwick. And these are your headlines. The recovery is just beginning. European finance ministers hailing the economic turnaround ahead of today's talks on tax and growth. We're going to speak to Luxembourg's finance minister and Irish finance minister Pascal Donahoe here on Scorebox. The Dow struggles for the second day as markets digest a more hawkish Fed, whilst formerly red-hot commodity plays lose some steam weighing on industrial stocks. Core inflation rises for the first time in a year in Japan, while the BOJ joins the list of central banks, keeping rates on hold and policy steady, warning the economy remains in a severe state. HSBC is reportedly set to complete the sale of its French retail banking operations to private equity giant Cerberus later on today, drawing an end to months of negotiations. And Juneteenth becomes a federal holiday in the United States, commemorating the end of slavery in America, as President Biden says the country needs to acknowledge its history. We can't rest till the promise of equality is fulfilled for every one of us in every corner of this nation. That, to me, is the meaning of Juneteenth. That's what it's about. Well, there's nothing more rousing at the top of a show than a finance minister's meeting, is it? No, in all seriousness, this is really interesting, this one, because EU finance ministers have hailed recovery across the block as they met in Luxembourg to discuss the next steps in completing the banking union. Well, Annetta joins me more. And Annetta, you've already, I know, done some brilliant doorsteps as well as some of these ministers as well. Um, they're hailing the next steps as well. But are they trying to run before they can walk? Because talking about the recovery uh, at this stage... Is it premature? I guess that's the question. Well, actually, um, they are talking about the economic recovery, of course, and they think that actually the European economy will see a very strong rebound in the second half of this year. And of course, it depends on the country how strong the rebound is. But on general, it's not only about uh, getting the economy back to the level before, but the European Union also is trying to transform the the economy into a greener economy than before. So the, the topic of sustainable growth is very high on the agenda. And of course, um, as you were pointing out, the banking union. But when I asked Olaf Scholz about the banking union, he was saying yesterday that they are not expecting any big breakthrough, but that the Germans will contribute to the discussion in a positive way. Of course, everything depends here also on the um, common deposit scheme where the Germans are having the foot on the brake. Um, so essentially, there's so many 
many topics which they're discussing yesterday and also today at the ECOFIN. Also, of course, on top of their minds is the next generation EU funds and how they want to um, bring them to the market. They tapped the market for the first time this week very successfully. And that is, of course, also a topic here, how much bonds they are planning to issue and also how the yield curve might look like in the future with uh, interest rates bound to rise as well here in the eurozone. So it's a big package in, top, in terms of a topic. So when we did the doorstep yesterday, I caught up with the EU Commissioner for the Economy shortly, uh, Gentiloni, and asked him about his thinking about the economic recovery. Take a listen. We are looking for uh, more sustainable growth, lasting growth, and this is connected to reforms and investment, and this is why these plans are so important. So as always, when we talk about an economic recovery in Europe, it's very diverse. So we have, for example, the periphery not doing as great because they're more depending on the service sector, such as Greece, as other countries. I mean, we've had stellar uh, figures out from France, but also Germany. So when I spoke to Bruno Le Maire, who's, of course, the French finance minister, I asked him about his thinking about France and whether he thinks that France can actually uh, get back to to the previous level very soon, and um, that's what he had to say. We uh, are now the most attractive country among EU uh, countries for foreign investment, and we have now, as I just told you, a very quick, solid and uh, efficient economic rebound. So our assessment is that we should uh, come back to the level of economic development uh, of uh, the pre-crisis at the beginning of 2022, I would say early 2022, we should have the same level of economic development as the one we had just before the crisis. So while there is a general big relief that with the vaccination rollout, the economies in general do open up again, especially the service sector, there's no complacency about the fact that uh, it remains to be seen how many scars are actually there after all the support measures are lifted and how the various sectors of the economies will perform. And that is why uh, they are today also discussing um, future plans and also investment schemes uh, through the uh, next generation EU funds. So there's a lot of money on the table. Now the big question is how are they going to deploy it? Because if you look at past projects, which um, we're seeing like regional funds from the EU, EU channeled to various countries, it was not always a success story. And of course, that's also on top of the agenda, on top of their minds. But also the sheer question what they are going to do with all the debt after the crisis is over should be a major concern for those finance ministers who are gathering today. With that, back to you. Yeah, you got busy day. Well done, by the way. Great doorsteps. And uh, I know you've got two big interviews coming up as well. So I'll tell the Many viewers a bit thanks. more about those. Yes, we're going to have more from Luxembourg with Annette later in the show when, uh, well, it says we speak, but actually she'll be speaking to the finance minister of Luxembourg, Pierre Gramegna. Uh, that interview coming up at 7.30 CET, first on CNBC, of course. And we'll also speak to the Irish finance minister, who is also the Eurogroup president, Pascal Donahoe. Uh, that will be Anetta at five minutes past eight Central European time. But that's not all the great tape we've had, is it, Jeffrey? No, absolutely. And obviously, these next-gen funds are not going to be a bonanza 
for all, given uh, the announcement earlier this week, the European Commission uh, raised 20 billion euros in its first issuance of recovery bonds known as the Next Generation EU Programme. The sale marking the largest ever institutional bond issuance in Europe and the most raised by the bloc in a single transaction. However, several lenders, about 10 were frozen out. Juliana and Sylvia spoke with EU Budget Commissioner Johannes Hahn in an exclusive interview and started by asking him for the rationale behind leaving some of these banks out of the sale. It uh, was simply that there were a case of collusion dating back uh, several years. And uh, of course, we have to take uh, necessary measures and uh, um, we have asked them to provide us with uh, all the necessary informations uh, looking if uh, they... um, uh, remedial actions we have asked uh, to to take have been taken by them and uh, we have received information in the meantime I think from eight of them and we will look uh, swiftly and uh, as, as, as fast as possible into this information and I'm sure the situation can be resolved in the near future we have an interest that they are participating in in our issuance program and uh, but on the other hand we have to apply to our regulations and standards uh, but this is uh, I think uh, discussed with them and I have uh, all confidence that we uh, can see them in the near future as, as part of our primary dealer network. What is your best guess as to how long this ban will last? Well, this I can't predict because uh, this is subject to the assessment of our experts and, and lawyers, and I don't want to, to make any announcement, but be reassured um, as fast as possible because it's in our interest too. Commissioner, I would like to look at the recovery plans for a moment as well, because the Commission op- approved the first recovery plans over the last few days. I was just wondering when do you expect the first disbursements to take place? Well, what we did is uh, the procedure is simply that uh, the Commission is making an assessment of these uh, different uh, um, recovery and reform plans. And then, of course, it has to be approved by the Council, which means by all the other member states. And uh, then we need a financial agreement with each of them. So in a nutshell, I expect that the first disbursements can take place in the second half of July. Karen, I will have a, a fennig with you, a drachma, a Europe. A franc, yeah. I'll have a euro with you that by the time that bond yields start picking up again, those 10 primary dealers will be back in the fold just to make sure these auctions go a bit better. So what timing are you you anticipating? That's a good question. (laughs) If bond yields are ever allowed to pick up again. Um, Very interesting. Okay, let's move on. HSBC is expected to announce the sale of its French retail banking unit to private equity group Cerberus today, according to media reports. The bank will meet with labour unions uh, to discuss the retail business. Reuters reports HSBC will also hold a board meeting. The French unit operates 230 branches and employs around 3,900 people. The UK bank has tried to divest it for 18 months. I think that's fascinating. Uh, French uh, retail banking meeting private equity. I wonder, wonder what the unions will say to that. Right, coming up on the show, Japanese consumer prices rise for the first time in more than a year. More on this after the break. And Karen, I'm told the podcast is vintage today. Yeah, it's brilliant. For more on Europe's post 
Pandemic Recovery, you can check out the Sportbox podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. Welcome back, everybody. Let's pick up on the Biden-Putin summit. With the summit now behind President Biden, the White House has turned its attention to Xi Jinping, saying it would consider arranging talks between the leaders of the world's two biggest economies. This comes after a G7 communique slammed China's human rights record, drawing backlash from Beijing. TikTok owner ByteDance more than doubled its revenues in 2020 to $34.3 billion, according to a CNBC source. But the Chinese social media giant plunged to an operating loss of $2.1 billion after posting a profit the previous year. And some news on Adobe. Shares getting a boost in extended trading after the company beat analysts' second quarter estimates on the top and the bottom lines. The U.S. software company reporting a 23% jump in revenue to $3.8 billion, with net income inching up slightly to $1.1 billion. Adobe CEO Shantanu Narayan calling the quarter outstanding. Japanese core inflation rose by a mighty 0.1 of a percent in May. To be fair, I say mighty. It is the first time they've had an increase in more than a year. Uh, It's in line with forecasts. Meanwhile, the uh, Bank of Japan kept its ultra-easy monetary policy in place after a two-day meeting in a bid to support the recovery. Uh, U.S. initial weekly jobless claims actually increased by 412,000 last week, according to the Labor Department data, uh, the highest mark since May. Doesn't seem higher since a long time ago, does it? But May being only last month. Uh, anyway, uh, expectations, uh, it was just above them. Continuing claims uh, came in at uh, 3.5 million. That's down from close to 18 million one year ago. Now, speaking to CNBC, Tusk Ventures founder Bradley Tusk said crisis era US stimulus could be linked to a rise in inflation. The federal government has pumped trillions of dollars into the economy, which on one hand certainly is going to impact inflation, but was also critically necessary to keep people afloat and businesses afloat um, and has really done a lot to help us get through COVID and recover from it. So the fact that we have a COVID recovery alongside you know, higher inflation and rates to me is, is unusual. But if you think about the context that we've just lived through, it makes sense. A former Dallas Fed President Richard Fisher also told CNBC that demand for commodities will rise as the recovery continues. We've obviously seen a burst of demand, enormous price inflation across the commodity spectrum. One might want to lighten up a little bit in terms of their commodity exposure, but there's still this enormous demand, particularly as we have this incredible economy here in the United States that is coming back like gangbusters. And later on, our colleagues stateside will be speaking with St. Louis Fed President James Bullard. That's at 2 p.m. CET.
A look at the market action. Oh, we had a little bit of selling again, hitting the likes of the Dow. Six tens down for the major index, 200 odd points in the red at uh, the close of the trading session. Investors again are pulling back from materials and financials. That's where you've seen an element of selling on the back of the Fed. Uh, by sectors, actually, technology was somewhat resilient. You could see the performance of the Nasdaq eight tenths higher. Amazon, one of the better performers there. But uh, banking stocks are leading the charge lower for the likes of the Dow. Goldman Sachs having the biggest negative impact. But uh, you can see investors just repositioning now on the back of that language from the Fed about the possibility of rate hikes in 2023. So a portfolio has just been slightly shuffled at this stage uh, in the, the following sessions, as you can see. So it's the same for what happens today on Wall Street too. Let's just dive into those uh, big tech moves. This is what it looks like. Apple 1.2% higher. I mentioned Amazon. You can see 2.1% in the green. One of the stronger ranges that you had on the charts, but pretty much across the board. If you also look at uh, the FANG stocks, uh, roughly gained about 1.6% over the day. Over the course of the week, also trading higher so far. But there has been even more of an outperformance by the ARK Innovation Fund. Those are the so-called high flyers, of which Tesla is part of. Uh, over the course of the week so far, that sector or that part of the market up to odd percent. Uh, quick look at the dollar. We did reset higher. A big jump in the uh, greenback this week on uh, the Fed, and uh, that has set in motion a little bit of pain across on some of the uh, the uh, foreign exchange markets. Sterling this morning on the back foot, uh, you can see we're peeling off that 140 mark that we've been trading at. We're now 138.97, uh, 118.99. So we've just sub 119 on euro as well. Dollar is losing ground versus the Japanese yen, but gaining versus the yuan at this point. But the dollar gains we've witnessed, that's been a negative trade for the commodities complex. And you can see how it plays out across the board from the hard and soft commodities. There are concerns about some of these measures in China to pull back on the stimulus. Also concerns about the ramifications of eventually higher interest rates and what that means for the dollar. So we've had a losing trade on some of these uh, copper trading down. We actually had big moves in that part of the market yesterday, a 4.7% slump over the week, near on 8%. So fairly strong moves, uh, also reversal for the likes of uh, what we're seeing on gold in particular. And that's uh, flowed across to some of the other markets. But uh, corn too this morning, trying to pick up some grain, some, some uh, ground, I should say, but uh, still weaker. The European markets on the close. This is how they look. Uh, we had a little bit of a pullback on the FTSE and also the MIB. Those two markets softer, but you could see gains across the other European markets. So a split picture and on treasuries this morning, we've been uh, closely watching uh, the uh, yield that has steepened to an extent this week and the two years at just about uh, 0.2 of a percent, but we're now sitting above the one and a half percent level on the 10 year. Jeff. Yeah, thanks very much indeed. Let's bring in uh, Patrick Barb, head of European investment grade fixed income at Neuberger Berman. Patrick, good to have you with us. And boy, what a day to talk about this. This collapse in spreads that we've seen is, is quite remarkable. And the markets just seem to be buying into the messaging from both the ECB and the Fed. But when you look at the compression in yield to treasuries that we've seen in the US, we're what, under nine tenths of a percent now in terms of um, what investors are demanding over safe treasuries. Do you think that there is enough margin of safety in that trade to feel comfortable owning that corporate debt? Hello, all. Of course, your question is uh, the one uh, raised by most investors uh, ahead of the summer. And if you remember, uh, before the Fed meeting and the ECB meeting, most investors were looking for carry trade. So 
I would like to say yes, because uh, investors are buying. And the last auction we, we saw in, uh, in Eurozone uh, made the proof of uh, the demand. Um, and when we, 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 uh, when, and when we look for the analysis of the Fed meetings and the ECB meetings, uh, clearly uh, you have to have a split between rate policy and the uh, purchasing program policy. I mean, uh, perhaps more to focus on the, on the ECB if you, if you want. Um, the ECB was clear uh, again. I mean, the ECB confirmed its very formative stance. Uh, and if you remember the wording of the ECB, is going to buy for two free huh, program, is going to buy a, a bond purchase base significantly higher than in the Q, Q1, in the first quarter. So for investors, it's clear that the ECB uh, uh, will not let financial conditions tighten prematurely like a further increase in, in the rates. And today, the press, the, the, the spread, sorry, are linked to the yields evolution. If the yields are rising, of course, the spread are rising. So the central bank should maintain up to the uh, uh, March next year for ECB, this current purchase of bonds buy, which ensure, I would like to say, a carry trade. And then if you have a look on the forward rates, because we used to analyze the, what could be the curve, uh, what could be the race, after the, uh, this period of time of stability, you have still a premium. I mean, the bond yields are positive. Uh, and then if you include the carry, uh, you have a gain of 30 to 40, uh, 30 to 40 basis points, which is great if you consider the, I would like to say, again, the extended period of time of stability ensured by the ECB. In your notes, you make the point that ultimately all of this stimulus will lead to higher trend growth rates. Within those higher trend growth rates, ultimately then comes the prospect of higher interest rates and inflationary pressure. Is there just a, a, a window of opportunity then to uh, enjoy that period where we see the central banks very much engaged in suppressing uh, higher rates and maintaining uh, the window for, for borrowing? Of, of course, uh, if you have a, a look on the last years, uh, you understand that we have uh, really uh, lose the trend of growth and inflation. We are well behind the trend we should have, have done. So, yes, uh, uh, there are questions because uh, the economic uh, recovery is higher than expected in the USA. Uh, the activity uh, normalization is quicker than expected in the Eurozone. But if we have a look on the central bank's forecast, uh, it's quicker for the time being, but not higher. Uh, quicker, it means for the Fed uh, before yesterday, uh, the Fed uh, uh, showed you that the central bank could hike twice in 2023. So higher than expected, but not uh, quicker than expected, but not higher. So the question for the central bank uh, is again, what is, uh, and for the markets, what is the payback from the crisis and what is really the trend after the economy normalization? And today it's too early, uh, of course, to, to know what could be the economic picture after uh, the normalization. Uh, the central banks, the economists are quite now more optimistic for the Eurozone. The growth should be around 5% this year and next year. But if we have a look on the, on the wages, uh, nothing yet. If we have a look on the inflation, uh, without uh, uh, energy, without food, uh, the volatile items, uh, the inflation, the core inflation, is still around 1% uh, for the central bank. 
Now, for Newberger, we expect more, perhaps closer to one and a half, but on such a way, uh, you are not going to move uh, your monetary policy Patrick. because you have still uncertainties. Don't forget that. Patrick. Uh, due to the virus, yes. Look, you sound like a very reasonable chap, but don't you think you should come with a health warning when you're offering um, potentially opportunities uh, to our viewers at triple B, which is barely investment grade, which is trading at a circle 2.3 to 2.4% for something which is literally one notch above junk uh, in the current environment, which is around about 50% what the longer term historical average is for uh, triple B yield and things. When you say people should see opportunities there, I do worry at this stage of the cycle, sir. But of, of, of course, have a look on the last uh, uh, figures. The, the default uh, in, uh, in the Eurozone in USA, uh, it was in March uh, and April was close to nothing uh, because all governments, and that's my last point, uh, promote and implemented a rescue plan uh, uh, in Eurozone, uh, a bank loan with a guarantee of government. So for the year to come, we don't expect a, a default. We expect the uh, the full cash implementation, the risk plan implementation are going to, to uh, 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 I would like to say, to, to support the capital expenditure, to support the activity uh, in USA, in Eurozone, we, uh, we uh, help uh, ourselves to consume. So for one year at minimum, uh, all uh, weapons against the virus were activated. We don't expect really any default, any issue coming from the economy itself. The market could be the market, I agree, it could be volatile because of the risk premium you mentioned. But fundamentally, for a year to come, there is no risk. Uh, uh, really, the, the governments all around the world did their best to recover their economy. Uh, I would like to say the crisis was perceived as a challenge to recover faster, to solve a problem. Just an example, in Italy, it's an opportunity, as you know, to, uh, 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 to restructure the economy, to improve the productivity. So for when I'm, I'm telling one year, it's perhaps because of a global picture. But in the Eurozone, for the first time, we have a, a public uh, budget for the Eurozone as a whole. So there are many, many efforts helps to support the economy. And that's our point today. Patrick, uh, excellent. You can save it for free. We are going to have to leave it there. But I, I take your point and I take your side of the trade as well. So thank you very much indeed. Very interesting. Uh, where we see the opportunities in what is a stunningly low yield environment. Right, Patrick Barber, that was head of European investment grade fixed income, just about investment grade in the case of that triple B, <laughs> Neuberger Behrman. Right, let's move on. The former CEO of General Electric, a man I worked under actually, Jeff Immelt, has told CNBC the tailwinds of the 1990s made it uh, feasible to run a US conglomerate across a broad range of industries. Okay, uh, but he says that changed uh, that changed in the aftermath of the global financial crisis. GE share price has failed to return to the levels uh, it saw prior to the recession. The company has shared <coughs> shared several of its major subsidies subsidiaries since. Yeah, um, I've sound emotional about my share price performance. Trust me, it's just a frog in my throat. Uh, including CNBC's parent company, NBC Universal, to Comcast. Okay, moving on. Uh, Imelt uh, spoke to Tanya Breyer for the CNBC conversation and told her he always sought to maintain a collaborative environment. Despite There's been times complaint. when people said that I didn't value input from teammates and people around me. But the fact is, is that uh, this is a company that always worked as a team between the leadership team and the board. Uh, we were transparent, we were accountable, and, and we were collaborative. And what was the biggest challenge of managing GE effectively as such a huge global conglomerate? Breadth um, is great when you have tailwind, 
right? In the 90s, we could be in media, we could be in aircraft engines, we could be in insurance, we could be everywhere, uh, everything to everybody. When you get hit by something like the financial crisis, when half your company, if you will, is in kind of a disaster, disaster situation, breadth is really hard. It's really hard to focus and pivot on media and and healthcare and all those other things. So I think uh, conglomerates today have to be deep first and broad second. And I think to a certain extent, GE wasn't deep enough, right? We, we didn't have enough kind of technical depth inside the company to be in as many businesses as we're, we were in. We were constantly trying to f- uh, solve for that, but that's um, that was the biggest challenge. We had the wrong shape for the environment we were in. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.